But uh, two weeks ago, I kind of did an introductory idea about conversion, that it is a turn. As I showed this slide last week, that it's a moment, you turn. But it's not a continual moment. It's got to end, and then you grow. And so much the problem is, is we often are confused between conversion, which is this birthing moment, as Jesus said it, and there's no moms here that want to birth for a super long time. Right? But then growing up after birth is the process. And so now I want to talk about these three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And for those that may not have been here two weeks ago, originally that was brought up by John in the first letter of John to deal with some false doctrine that was being taught at that time concerning Jesus. There was some teaching going around that believed that the Christ, that's the Savior of Jesus, actually wasn't there at birth but came at baptism and then left at the crucifixion. And therefore, so Jesus, when He was born, was not the Son of God in the flesh, and that when He died, the man on the cross was just an ordinary man. Obviously, we don't believe that. John was saying, no, He wasn't just born of water, baptism. He was born of water and blood, which could only refer to the fact that He, like all of us, through water and blood, if you've been through a birthing process, you know that's true. He came into this world as human, but also as the Son of God. And then the Spirit would continue to testify. And in fact, it's interesting, even Jesus had the receiving of the Spirit at baptism. Hmm. Funny how some teach we can receive the Spirit at another time. Even Jesus didn't. And so we really want to talk about these three that testify, not only that Jesus is the Son of God, but what if those same testify to that moment of conversion when while we're in Christ, and Christ is in us. So let's go to that passage, but I want to do it with a little more context. Let me set my timer here. All right. We're going to go to the beginning of this passage and not just take out the few verses that I used in two, two weeks ago. Because you're going to get this overall theme. This is why it's so important to not just pick verses. Even though you may use verses, make sure you read the context. And the theme is, you're going to find, has a lot to do with this birthing idea. This moment where you used to not be and now you are a child of God. Verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, if all you did is stop there, then you say, well, as long as I believe that, then I'm a child of God. But the Bible does not stop there. There's a lot more information. This is the danger of a lot of salvation plans that put all their weight on just a few verses taken out of context and get them to say what the Bible itself never actually says. So let's continue to read. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey His commands. So faith, being born of God, is not enough. There's obedience to something that's going to need to be involved as well. For this is what love for God is. To believe that He's the Son of God and you're good. No, that's not what it says. It says to keep His commands. Not what civilization says is conversion. Right. Not what whatever church tradition you've been raised in or a part of says it is. Right. It's what does Jesus say? What does His Spirit say? What does His Word say? Yeah. That's what it's saying. And His commands are not a burden. He was never meaning it to be, I'm not sure. 
I think this is the way. He wants it to be clear. And yet if you look at the Christian perspective today in our society, it's all over the place when it comes to conversion and being born of God. It says, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. If that is true, if we just take that verse, we already have a problem with American Christianity. Because I see more of the world conquering Christians than Christians conquering the world. Just saying, let's take that verse and use it. But I want to take the whole Bible. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. So it still is faith. We are saved by faith, but what is that faith? What kind of faith? And faith in what? And obedient to what? We need to know. Who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Question mark. Jesus Christ. He is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater. Because it is God's testimony that, is, that He has given about His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony, look at this, within Himself. Wait a minute. The testimony is that Jesus is the Son of God. The three things that testify that testimony are the Spirit, the water, and the blood. Now it's saying if we're truly of Him, those three that testify and the testimony that Jesus is the Son must be in us. Could it be that the same three things that testify to Jesus are what testify when is Jesus in us and we are in Him? Because it says this testimony, which He just talked about, must be within us, must be a part of our process and moment, that birthing moment, where we are converted truly to God. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. So if I take, well, no, I just need to believe, then you've made God a liar. Well, I just need to be baptized. It doesn't matter when. It doesn't matter what I know, but I did it. I'm good. You're a liar. Well, I know I got. I believed here. I got baptized here. I eventually heard about the Spirit. Now, yet, yeah, no, you're a liar. They're supposed to be in agreement. Not separated. Both things not separated. That would be really rough on some mothers. It's a moment that is a turn from an old life, a before and a new life, and after. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony, which is about Jesus being the Son, and the three things that testify that He is, that God has given about His Son. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things so you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know clearly that you have eternal life. Someone who truly believes as the Bible and as Jesus commands will be a son and daughter of God. But these three things have to testify to Him being the Son of God 
in your life. And I have a feeling as we study out conversion in Acts, you're going to find all three elements at that same birthing moment. Not separated because they're in agreement. But this text is full of deep spiritual concepts. I mean, one of them, simply this. To love, particularly God, is to obey. How many people say, I love God! But if you actually looked at the commands of God and their obedience, could we say they love God? And before you judge them, look at yourself. What commands do you actually know that you're not obeying because if you're not, you can't tell me you love God. To love God is to obey. It also says God's testimony is greater. It amazes me how we can hold on to man-made tradition more than God's Word. But we shouldn't be surprised. It's been happening for centuries of humanity. God's testimony is greater. If ever His Word challenges our view, you give up your view. You take God's, because He's the judge in the end. The one who believes has this testimony within himself. These three elements are going to be involved in our birthing moment, our conversion. This life is in His Son. This life is not in a church. Because if the church isn't in the Son, then being in a church doesn't put you in the Son. You're in the Son, which then puts you in His church. This is a problem. Because many of us convert to a church or a particular faith tradition, but we haven't asked, are we converted to Christ? It's only in Him that there's life. Which we've got to ask ourselves. If we're trying to be the church of Christ, we've got to more examine, are we in the Son? How are we really doing in our personal walks and communal walk with Jesus? One who has the Son has life. But how do we know if we have the Son? Because we have to know how we have the Son in order to know that we actually have the life. And what's amazing is the first of these three that testify, the Spirit, plays a very crucial part in knowing if you have the Son. Uh, let's not forget what we learned two weeks ago when Jesus approached Nic- when it was approached by Nicodemus. He, he taught them a lesson about this. Let's go back to that passage briefly. John 3, 5-6. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, not that He ever didn't tell the truth, but He's emphasizing, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. So just even from that, we understand that being born again, having that conversion moment, that turn back toward what God intended from a before to an after, it's going to involve the Spirit. It's going to involve water, but we're saving that for next week. It also involves, though, Something to do with the flesh. Does it not? Flesh gives birth to flesh. Something has to happen to that flesh in order for the Spirit to even become a possibility in our lives. 
Look at this passage in Galatians 5, verse 16. Hope you like Galatians because we're going to camp there for a little bit. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Now I know some of us, we don't like this conflict. Right? Anyone here? It's a struggle. It's not fun. But you know what? We should be thankful for it. We should actually embrace that conflict because without it, which one would probably win? Because according to this, it says next, why is this important? So that you are not to do whatever you want. Let's just be honest. The Spirit is trying to guide us to what we actually need to do and be. Our sinful nature wants to help us do and say what we want to do and say. There's a big difference there. Want, desire, versus need and obedience to God's will for our lives. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, we are encouraged to walk by the Spirit, but we're also informed of this conflict that we have a flesh, a sinful nature that's in direct conflict to it. Why? I don't know the answer to that, but it exists. But you have a choice. Which one are you going to walk by? There are consequences for that choice. God will never remove that choice. But He also will never remove the consequences of it. It's your choice how you're going to live. The flesh does not desire what the Spirit desires. And also the results of them. What I love about this verse is often what we even as Christians can do is, oh, I'm struggling, I I keep sinning, I'm, I'm only human. According to this verse, we should have a different statement. Instead of using the I'm human as an excuse to walk in the flesh, try using I'm saved as a reason to walk in the Spirit. Let that sink in for a minute. There should be a difference. We can't use weakness as an excuse. Now, we may falter, we will sin, but we can't live that way. We've got to repent, we've got to confess, we've got to change. We've got to become something different. And there's grace, and there's patience. But if we say we're walking by the Spirit, but we're just living by the flesh, you're a liar. And that was my life for 23 years, thinking I'm a Christian, because I go to church saying, I love God, and then during the week I'm completely in direct disobedience to commands I knew. I'm not even talking about the commands I didn't know that I disobeyed. But just the ones even I knew. I was in disobedience. How can I say I love God? So we've got to talk about these two things. This flesh, the acts of the flesh, and the gift of the Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 19. Yes, we're going there. Now the works of the flesh. Notice it says works. Something you do. Or actually in some passages, things you don't do that you should be doing. It's works. It's your deeds. It's coming from what's inside you. It's you listening to your flesh and then acting on it. You're going to have a flesh. I can't remove that. But I can tell you, you don't have to listen to it. Jesus had the same flesh we did, and yet never sinned. Now, I know He's the Son of God. I do give you that. But He was still flesh. 
And in many ways, He was tempted more than we were. The Bible says He was tempted in all things. Most of us aren't tempted in all things. He understands, and yet He still lived a righteous life. It says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. So in other words, I shouldn't even have to read this list, but I'm going to because we like to ignore it. Even as Christians. Oh yeah, but I'm, I'm a Christian now. I love God. It doesn't matter. Yes, it still does matter. This is written to a church who's already saved. This is not written to the lost world that is going to be saved, that is going to have conversion. These are those who are already converted, and He's warning them. This is written to the church. The works of flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Right off the bat, he doesn't, he doesn't pull back at all. And I can't tell you how many times growing up, seeing even my own ministers committing that sin. But I don't point finger at them. Though I may not have given into that, praise the Lord, for I became a disciple and God spared me that in my life. I thought it about a million times, and according to Jesus, that's just as bad. That's just one. We only hit one. How can we say we're Christians if we don't deal with this? Moral impurity. You don't have to think very long to know what that means. Internet's very involved in that one. Promiscuity. That can include emotional affairs, flirting, you name it. This is the works of the flesh, not someone who is born of God. Idolatry. Oh, I don't have any idols. Really? A bank account can be an idol, by the way. A job can be an idol. A boyfriend, girlfriend can be an idol. A lot of things can be an idol. We don't have to have this stone statue and go, ah. It's whatever takes our heart and focus other than God. That's an idol. Sorcery. I'm not trying to discourage Harry Potter fans. We're talking real stuff that does exist. If you've been in the third world, you know this is true. But we play around with it. Horoscopes. Is that any different? Seeking knowledge from a place other than God? Got to think about it. Ouija boards. Have never heard a story that doesn't scare you. Evil is real. The Bible doesn't ignore it. Why should we? And we definitely shouldn't be playing with it. Hatreds. I like how this version says plural, hatreds. We can hate all kinds of things and all kinds of people. Racism, that's all it is, is hate. Strife. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions. Factions. Envy. Drunkenness. Carousing. That's orgies for those who don't know that word. And anything similar. Wow, that, that list gets really long then. This is the works of the flesh. I am warning you. This is to Christians. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before. That kind of implies that in someone becoming a true disciple of Jesus, they addressed sin in their life. They understood that you can't live this way if you want to follow Jesus. As I warned you before, don't let it back in. I am warning you again. That those who practice, not those who do this once in a while, the weakness out of stupidity, out of not being prepared, God has grace and forgiveness for that. As long as we confess, we repent, we get help and we change. But if you continue to practice, that means you're living this way. Not that you've done it. But if you live this way, you cannot be in God. 
You can't. This is the work of the flesh. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How can I enter the kingdom of God? Water and spirit. We could lose that. Because this is written to Christians who went through that. He's basically saying, yeah, I, I brought you. You were born again through water and the Spirit. But if you allow this sin back in, you won't inherit it. You'll lose the promise. This is serious. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the thing that's important about this, it's not written to you singular. It's written to the community of Christ. It's basically saying, as I'm telling you and you and you and you, I want you to hear it for each other. That if I see any of these in my brother or sister, if I truly say I love God and love those who are born of Him, as the first John passage said, I'm not going to tolerate it. Now, I'm not a sin police. I do want to warn us on that. Often the sin police are the ones who are struggling with that same sin. Kind of learn that. But guys, we've got to take sin seriously in each other's lives and in our own lives. We're walking and working out the acts of the flesh. But there's the other. Fruit of the Spirit. That's interesting shift. It's not work. In other words, it's not something you can do. You do sin. You can't do Spirit. It's a fruit. Something has to happen to you. Something has to be given to you for it to grow in you. Let's look at the difference. And then you decide which life would you prefer. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the love here is agape. This is committed love of putting someone above yourself. It's unconditional. Very different than the first on the other list of immorality where I just want pleasure. It doesn't matter who it hurts. Very different. Who wants the immorality? Who wants agape love? Oh, yeah, okay, so you do want the Spirit. Then we've got to deal with the other. Then it goes, joy. Does anyone here want joy? I do. I like joy. Because joy is unconditional. Joy is not based on your circumstance. Ask a pregnant woman giving birth. Not very fun. But even the Bible says there's joy at bringing forth this child. Joy is not conditional. Happiness is conditional. Maybe we've confused being happy for what God says should be joy, which means we should even be joyful in suffering. Just as Jesus, who for the joy set before Him, endured the cross. This is the joy He's talking about. Peace. Yeah, just take that breath. Just, just think. Peace. No worries. No fears. No doubts. Complete confidence that no matter what you're going through, you're in good hands. I'm not talking all state. Okay. okay so, yeah, I know where our minds go. My mind goes there. But peace. Anyone here not want peace? You look at the other one, what does the works of the flesh do? Dissensions, factions, hatreds. That's not peace. That's our world right now. But the fruit of the Spirit brings peace. Patience. Anyone here need that? A lot of us do, and you didn't raise your hand. You do need to raise it. Kindness. I like kindness because agape love is a principle thing that's in your heart and then will be expressed. Kindness means that love now is, has to act out towards someone else. You don't have kindness if, it, if no one receives it. 
Kindness has to be expressed. And we don't have enough of that in this world today. Because the news doesn't want to show that. <laughs> That's why I love sometimes when you do see on Facebook videos of people showing kindness. We need more of that. And we need to be that in this dark world. Goodness. What's that? It's being like Jesus. It's being good. It's being as God intended us to be. Not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Faithfulness. Gentleness. That's been probably one of the hardest fruits for me in my life. I'm more naturally not gentle. My voice isn't even gentle. My whisper is like aggressive. You know what I'm saying? This is a fruit I've had to work on so many times and still do with my wife, with my children. That's why I'm glad she has the fruit of patience. Because I wouldn't have made it. Self-control. That seems pretty important if you're not going to be living by the works of the flesh. So guys, which one do you want? You have a choice. Since the law is not against such things, now those who belong to Christ Jesus, so those who actually are born of God, who've had the true conversion experience, have crucified the flesh. That means killed, dead, over. Should not be coming back in our life. Unfortunately, there are some of that list of the works that have shown back up in my life at different times. But there's also many that have not at all. Impurity with other women that existed before I became a Christian, that's never happened since. And I plan it never happen again. And I will do whatever it takes to uphold that, to be, to be faithful to my wife. But anger? Oh yeah, I've had that come. And pure thoughts? Yep, I've had to fight that over the years. I mean, what is it that you're still holding on to? We've we got to deal with it. Now, if this happens occasionally... Deal with it. Get open. Get help. God is gracious. God will forgive. But we can't practice this. We can't say we're a Christian and then continually commit these same sins week after week after week. That's not born of God. There's a difference. And often what I've discovered with people who think that they're a Christian and why they can't overcome, it's because they actually never were, ever, became a Christian. They didn't have that moment, that birth, were the three that testify, including the Spirit. So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's not just saying no to that list of sins, guys. We've got to get rid of the desire for it. That's much harder. You've got to change the way you think to do that. For those who struggle with lust, you've got to think differently about a man and a woman. You've got to start looking at them and thinking about them as Jesus did as a precious son and daughter of God who should be valued and respected and honored, not as an object of your lust and desire. you got to look at anger differently. Be angry about the right thing, injustice. But don't get angry just because you don't get your way. you got to think differently about things, and that's repentance. Galatians 5 verse 25 adds this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You gotta keep in step with it. You gotta know about it. And how do we know if we're not? Look at the very next thing it says. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When our relations break down, that's how you know you're not keeping in step with the Spirit. When we allow relationships in this room to continually be dysfunctional, 
To continually be unrestored, not reconciled, you are starting to move away from the Spirit. We can't let that happen. Now, we're sinners. You put two sinners in a room, or several sinners in a room, there's going to be sin. But we've got to deal with it and keep in step with the Spirit. A good sign of us not keeping in step is when our relationships start to break down. Romans 8. This, this will make it clear of why the Spirit is so important to know how one is born of God, how one belongs to Christ. See, the real issue so often, the argument is about baptism. I think we've got to argue about how does one receive the Spirit, and that will answer all the other questions. Which is why I'm glad we start with the first of the three, the Spirit. Romans 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Guys, this is huge. Write this down. Where does your life start to change? Your mind. How you think. What you understand. What you're feeding your brain is going to determine ultimately whether you're going to live by the flesh or by the Spirit. So guys, if if you just took a week and scheduled all your time where your mind was being, how many hours in the Word of God compared to binging on Netflix? Because where you set your mind is all going to lead to how you live. Yes. Now, don't get me wrong. I love all the things that God has allowed and that man, through his creativity, produces. But man, if that stuff is all that's going in my mind, and not God's Word, not God's standard, not God's just example, then how can I expect to live and walk by the Spirit? It starts in your mind. This is huge. The mind governed by the flesh is death. That ought to scare you. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. How can I know I'll walk in the Spirit? You'll know. If there's life and peace, you're probably on the right path. If you're feeling guilty, and the guilty flee when no one follows, you're probably living death. You're probably allowing and tolerating some things that you know better. And even if you don't, the Spirit's still working to reveal something's wrong. Symptoms are there. Don't just deal with the symptoms. Find the source. Find what's causing it. It begins in your mind. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Think about that for a minute. Whatever you're deciding to do this week, you're about to, to set your mind on something. Ask yourself, is this for or hostile to God? You can't tell me pornography is for God. Preach. Yes, I said it. It is hostile to God. It is, it is totally disrespecting God's creation. And so many other things and layers to it. When you're thinking, oh, my wife, my husband, my kids, they're making me so... Is that for God? Or hostile to God? You can ask yourself these things. does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed, and here's the kicker, the Spirit of God lives in you. 
How do we know we are born of God? How do we know that God is in us and we are in God? The Spirit's involved. And look what it says next. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You can't get any clearer than that. Well, but I believed. I called Jesus into my heart. Did you get the Spirit by doing that? No! Then you don't belong to God no matter how many times you say, Jesus! But I was baptized! But did you understand what was taking place there? No, they just said, anyone who wanted to be baptized and I did it. Then if you don't understand what's taking place in that moment because it's faith in obedience to what God says, then you didn't receive the Spirit, you got wet, you don't belong to God! Come on, Derek. Well, later on, I remember the Spirit coming down. That is not how it works. And have you even bothered to study it out to see if it does? You do not belong to God. Guys, the real issue is not baptism. The issue is where and when do we receive the Spirit that makes us born of God? Now, I already talked about, so I'll skip these for sake of time, the things that we see about the flesh, the things we see about the Spirit. But I think that statement, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. So of utmost importance... If we want to be certain of conversion, certain of the before and the after, certain of being born of God so we can enter the kingdom of God, then we need to know how do we get that spirit. When, where, what is involved. I'll close with this great passage in Acts 19. Because we see this situation, and the Acts is filled with conversions. And we're going to be looking at different ones through these three lessons. But this one is perfect on showing how important the Spirit testifies to this birthing moment. Acts 19, verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled to the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples. So he found some people saying they were disciples. Later we're going to find out, disciples of John the Baptist. Not disciples of Jesus. A lot of people, oh, we, hey, you're a Christian, oh great. They didn't just accept that. They didn't say, oh, you're a disciple, you're a Christian, great. No, he immediately goes, he found his disciples and asked them. And look at the very first question he asks. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And he says specifically, when you believed. He didn't say, did you receive the Holy Spirit at some point? No, he connected that the Spirit being received is at the same moment of when you believed. No, they told him. We haven't heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Okay. So put yourself in, in Paul's shoes here. He's like, okay. You say you're Christians, disciples, but you haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So that's ding. Something's wrong. Something in this timeline's not working. If you didn't even know about the Spirit, but even if you know about the Spirit, but it doesn't connect with the moment you believe, then there's a problem. Ding! Something's wrong with the timeline. Now look at the exact next question. It's very specific. Paul's going, okay, you don't know about the Spirit, then I know what to ask next. Which means it's the same question we should be asking next. Look what he says. Into then, what then were you baptized? That seems a very odd question. Into what were you baptized? He asked them. John, Paul had no problem understanding that 
This moment of believing that saves you, which is that turn, that bursting change that involves water and spirit, because he's not going to change what Jesus taught earlier, is the same moment of baptism. The right one. And there are several in the Bible, by the way. There's, there's some different ones, and you better know the difference. Because Ephesians 4 later says there's only one. But there's more than one. No, there's one that saves you, and then there's others who don't. We need the one that makes sure saves us. The way God has defined it. The way Jesus modeled it. The way the disciples in the church preached it. Not how today the world says, you don't need baptism. Really? According to Paul, that's the very next question after the Spirit. Oh, into John's baptism, they replied. Oh, Paul said. John baptized with a baptism of repentance. Very important. Even Peter said, repent and then be baptized. He's saying, okay, I know you got baptized, but that's not the one anymore. John had to become lesser so Jesus could become greater. Man's testimony or God's testimony? Which is greater? Jesus is. So what Jesus commands, that's the one we have to do. So then he goes, well, oh! John Baptist is about to repent of telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is in Jesus. So the importance of what John was doing was not baptism. The importance was that he was doing it to prepare you for Jesus. But now that Jesus has already come, he says, when they heard this, because he said, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after them, that it is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized. Why? I thought they already were. Not the one that is conversion. Not the one connected to the Spirit. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Seems very clear that the one of the three that testifies at the moment that we're in Jesus and Jesus in us involves the Spirit. And it's in the moment of baptism. You don't believe me on that. You can look at this passage real quick. Romans 6, verse 3. We're almost concluding here. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? It's a question. It's rhetorical. You should know the answer to this one. Therefore, we were buried with Him by baptism into death. Kind of gives some sign that we already know baptism is water. We know spirits involved from what we just learned. If there's death involved in the death of Jesus, blood might be coming into play here at some point, and we'll save that for the third lesson. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. It's very clear to Paul in his letters and to the conversions we read in Acts, and I could read several more, you'll find the same pattern, that when there is this conversion moment, it's water. There's something to do with the flesh. Those works need to be washed away. They need to be forgiven. And now, because we're a new vessel because of that Christ, now He can give us the gift of the Spirit, that seal at the moment you believe, because you believed in baptism through faith, that you're coming in contact to the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's faith. It's not works. Sin is works. Spirit is a gift. It's a fruit that only He can give you. We are saved at that moment. And the Spirit testifies to it. Next week, we're going to examine the water. But I hope we see very clearly, guys, that to be born again, to be born of God, one of those three is the Spirit. And it is at the moment you believe. And here's what's really cool as we close with Romans 8, verse 11. And if the Spirit on Him who raised Jesus from the dead 
lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. We can't be the after unless God deals with our before. That is what Jesus did on the cross. And through faith, we can have that same moment, a new life, eternal life. We can be in God, and God can be in us, and the Spirit testifies to that. Next week, we'll see how the water testifies to that. Let us go to God in prayer as we remember the Lord and remembering what He did for us. Lord God, we are thankful for Your Word. It is clear that You have provided through Your death on that cross a moment we all can have where the old life is removed, where the sin is forgiven, and where now You instill in us Your Spirit, the same Spirit that raised our Lord from the dead. We no longer need to have an excuse, I'm only human. We should say with confidence, because I am saved, I will live like Jesus lived. Thank you for Jesus, who like us in human form, endured suffering and temptation, but He lived a life in complete obedience to you, in reverence to you. As we take this bread and this cup, help us to be reminded of what you accomplished that day. And help us to now live that way. That if there's any sin in our lives that is more than just being done in moments, but is continually being practiced, help us to be fearful in a right way. We take this warning to change, to be open, to confess, to repent. And help us to keep in step with your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.